It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Thriving in Business and Life. I'm Christopher Harding. And I'm Will Wilkinson. Welcome back to the show. So what are we cooking on uh, today, Chris? Well, last week we spoke about quantum responsibility, which is everybody realizing they have their own 100% scale of responsibility and deciding to step up and utilize that and really understand the ripple effect they have in terms of their actions and their words and their choices. Much simpler than trying to negotiate what share of responsibility <laughs> you have on a team. Everybody's 100% responsible. Right. Now, this is, is an interesting follow-up to that because, as we described last week, you could say responsibility is a mindset. If I see myself as responsible, what I will do about it is far more. And then accountability is the willingness to own the result, succeed or fail, yes. afterward. So we're talking about the middle box now. If I see myself as responsible, what will I do about it? And this is where empowerment comes in. So before we describe what empowerment is, let's talk about what empowerment is not, because it's a very misunderstood and sometimes uh, misused term. Right. So sometimes, and I know you've heard this as well, somebody will say, I now empower you to go out and do this, that, and the other. And they feel like somehow they've magically bequeathed the power to the person to be able to do things that just moments ago they couldn't do. I know when we were working on the the module on this for our course, and you brought this uh, principle forward, and it was in the book as well, I really loved uh, the simplicity of the statement, you cannot empower another person. Right. So, And let's be clear what we mean by that. Yes, I can create the conditions yes. and the environment and the support system that uh, that supports them to step into their own empowerment. But as we describe it, empowerment is a choice mm-hmm. uh, that each one of us make mm-hmm. to to what degree will we tap into our capability right. and to what degree will we expand our capability closer and closer to our full capacity. And another thing empowerment is not is a carte blanche permission to do anything you want. <laughs> I empower you, go do it. I'm not giving you any direction, no instructions, no measurements, just do your best. That's not empowerment. No, no. And, and the flip side of that, too, is that sometimes, and I've, I've run into this, matter of fact, I've got a coaching client right now that we're dealing with on this. They, you know, they were told by their leader that they were empowered to carry out a certain uh, process on a project. And so they decided to uh, do it differently than the established mm-hmm. norms. They didn't ask anybody whether that was okay. They mm-hmm. just figured they were empowered so yeah. they could go do it. Well, it, it ran amok because mm-hmm. they, they got off into mm-hmm. deviations of norms and regulations. And they were upset because they said, well, they told me I was empowered. Right. So we want to, we want to get real clear on what since empowerment is a choice that each person makes, mm-hmm. how can we set people up to be more inclined to empower, to empower themselves 
and to do it in a way that's actually successful and healthy. Well, let's start unbundling this a little bit here. We have something uh, we write about called the three C's of empowerment. And the first one is capability. It seems obvious, but, you know, bias can show up and blind us to the possibility that we're expecting somebody that we respect, somebody we admire, to be able to do something that they're not really capable to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, that falls under what's sometimes called the halo effect. I have, I see somebody in a good light, and so I haven't really accurately assessed their true capability right now. Yeah. The the other side of that, I, I suppose, from a um, helpful, supposedly helpful perspective, would be, well, I'm going to give this person an opportunity to really prove themselves. Right. You know, they've had some bad runs. This would be their chance to turn things around. That's a, a wonderful attitude, but again, if they're not really capable and we don't help them gain what they don't have, that could be a disservice to them. It's not empowerment. Well, yeah, am I setting somebody up to succeed or am I setting them yeah. up to fail? Now, the other side of bias as well is that I have somebody who's perfectly capable and totally interested in expanding their capability, and I can't see it because I'm brain blind due to some type of a of an unconscious bias that I might have about them. So when we talk about capability, what we're trying to do is get people to take a, a real close look at three aspects of capability, their cognitive skills, their interpersonal skills, and their technical skills. And very often, the only one that gets the thorough examination is the technical skills aspect. Especially dangerous is overlooking the interpersonal skills. And, you know, as I'm saying that, I'm realizing just how important the cognitive skills are, too. So we better get into both of these. Yeah, so cognitive skills, what we're really talking about is, is a person able to make the connect between what they do and what's likely to happen? Mm -hmm. uh, you and I refer to that so as standing let's upstream. Just, yeah, right? let's just repeat that. Can you say that again? Because yeah. there's a lot in that. So that a person is able to make the link between what they do or say, what they choose, and what is likely to happen. We say it another mm -hmm. way. Are, have you stood upstream mm -hmm. and followed the likely ripple effect mm -hmm. and said, am I willing to own the likely future consequences right. of my actions? And as we've pointed out, uh, what happens when we don't do that is unintended consequences. Right, that that catch us often by surprise. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, well, well I, it happened because we didn't examine the possibility of what might happen. Yeah, and as a result, weren't prepared for it. So the other one you were talking about is interpersonal skills. Um, and this this is a real common one. People have tremendous technical skills. They might even have good cognitive skills. They've been great individual performers. And now a leader comes along and, quote, empowers them, unquote, to step into this new role, mm -hmm. assuming that because they were a good individual performer, they have the ability to be a good leader or manager. But what's missing often is they just haven't developed the interpersonal skills. I'm remembering a story I read in a business book years ago about some consultant coming into a company, assessing what was going on. He was trying to find out where the focus of power was, actually, not in the titles, not in the offices right. or the duties, but where were people going. He discovered it was the janitor. 
<laughs> this yeah, janitor yeah. had such advanced people skills that everybody felt they could go to him and talk to him, and he was actually kind of holding the focus of power there. <laughs> he yeah. didn't have those other skills, but he had the interpersonal skills. You know, that reminds me. There was a biotherapeutics company that uh, I had a chance to consult with and, and do training there and coaching, and it was very much the case. There was this one, uh, you know, maintenance guy uh, who was always around because he was, you know, setting things up or he was adjusting the temperature or he was cleaning things up. And he was this really approachable, really caring mm-hmm. guy. And I noticed people talking to him a lot um, <laughs> right. in, after sessions and in between. And so I went up and just started talking to him one day and found that this guy was just this wealth mm-hmm. of of listening ability, compassion. He was really wise. He actually would have made an awesome coach. (laughs) And in fact, he was an informal coach within their organization that, yeah, if I only paid attention to his title and that supposed importance, um, I and others would have missed out on this huge opportunity. Well, the archetypal uh, example of this for me is uh, Leo, the character in Herman Hesse's Journey to the East. It was a book I read in college, and he was a servant leader. He was serving everyone on the expedition. They didn't realize he was leading the expedition until he left for a while. (laughs) <laughs> because he was a servant, but he was actually the leader. Well, and, you know, that that brings up the whole concept of, like, the Greenleaf Foundation, which has been one of the advocates of what they call servant leadership, that as the leader, part of my job is to is to be able to demonstrate those kind of interpersonal skills to help people develop cognitive skills. Uh, technical skills, you could say, are maybe the easiest because mm-hmm. there's usually specific training. And, yeah, they're and, straightforward at least. Yeah. They're measurable. So, so when we're talking about creating an environment of empowerment, one of the things we want to look to do is assess where somebody's at mm-hmm. in terms of their interpersonal skills. You know, how do they get along with people? Mm-hmm. Do they tend to turn personal matters or professional matters into personal issues? You know, or uh, are they emotionally mature? Do they have good emotional intelligence? Those are all the kind of things I'd be assessing when I'm thinking about somebody for a specific role and saying, Based on where they are, will they be able to navigate the situation or they do they need a coach or some additional mentoring? And a bit of a danger zone here is when a person, a leader, is, is deficient in an area themselves, they can prize someone else's proficiency in that area to such a degree that they ignore their deficiencies in the other areas. Right. I mean, I had an example of this many years ago. Uh, met this fellow who had a small company, and he was really impressed by my interpersonal skills. It's something I've developed. So he hired me for a job I knew nothing about, <laughs> and I you know, pointed that out to him. And he said, oh, you, you'll pick that up. That'll be easy. You, I want you to you know, do your thing with people. You'll run great meetings. I was capable of doing that. But actually, the fact that I didn't have those other hard skills was a detriment. Well, so let's, let's look at that, because uh, there's... Uh uh, an interesting philosophy in hiring talent, uh, you know, these days. And it's, it runs kind of similar to what that, that person was telling you. Hire for attitude yeah. and train for skills, right. right? Well, 
it's the second part of that that was missing in your <laughs> you, case. You kind of forgot that part. <laughs> yeah. I, it's great. You do want to hire for attitude. It is really tough if somebody has a, has a, you know, a negative attitude, you could say, or poor interpersonal mm-hmm. skills. Those are harder things yeah. to train. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we should leave out the technical skills. It's essential that they are, that they are trained to have the capability they need to, because that training and that te- those technical skills will actually help them have better cognitive skills exactly. as well. Exactly. Well, this is leading us right into number two in the three C's of empowerment, clarity. Right. So let's talk about clarity. What do we mean when we, we talk about that? Well, you know, you, you gave the example of uh, just go do a good job, make it happen. Right. That's not clear. Exactly. Right. So what we're really looking at is when we say clarity, the first one is, have I have I established clear expectations with the person? Do they know what the scope of their responsibility is? Do they know what success looks like? Mm-hmm. Do they know uh, you know where where their limits are? Uh, do they know what they can't do? Mm-hmm. You know all those things around expectations. It re- really ties into the second one, and that is their scope of authority. Well, you're reminding me of our example in in our book about the Titanic. The tragedy of the Titanic, where there certainly wasn't clarity, there weren't clear, articulated expectations. And so although we could probably uh, imagine everybody involved was doing their best, the radio operator, the captain, navigators, etc., because they didn't have a clear focus of what the priority was, they sank. The unsinkable ship sank. Right. So that's one of those things. If you look at that in a day-to-day setting, uh, I was just at a company event recently, and, and they became real clear, because especially because of the nature of their work, that their goal was to be successful, and one of their number one expectations was be safe. Mm-hmm. And they trained people in safety. Mm-hmm. They created an expectation around zero accidents. Mm-hmm. And and so you know that that was an expectation they were very clear about. They had a real clear chain of command. If you're unsure, here's who you go right. to. If right. You so that they almost that was their context actually. Right. Safety first. Yeah. yeah. Safety first, and and you know so whatever that is for us, we want to make sure that we've thought through it well enough that we've thought about. What does this person need to be clear about in order to really be able to go out and do their job? Because you've used the term, otherwise we can become guilty of drive-by delegation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And one thing that helps, and it may seem uh, obvious, but often we'll miss it, is to have a person repeat back the instructions we just gave them. Right. I mean, that's a popular therapy technique. You'll get, uh, say, in couples therapy, what did you hear her say? Right. And often it's quite different than what was actually said. So it's very important to, you know, I, I give the instructions as best I can. I say, I'd like to hear you repeat that back just so I make sure that I've been clear with you. Right. Yeah. And that that's a, that's a process that, that can be really helpful. Along with that is, you know, can they tell me what they will or won't do, you know, to accomplish something. So sometimes maybe I pose for them scenarios. What what would you do if this happens? Mm-hmm. What might you do if this happens? Mm-hmm. And just start to really get a sense of mm-hmm. are they clear about what's expected, right. what they can do, who do they report to, when should they come back, yeah. when do I want to hear from them? Yeah. Well, obviously it's part of clarity. It also opens the door to a little bit of uh, coaching 
because the minute they respond to these questions, you become aware of their style, their communication style, <laughs> their leadership true. style. And so you could head off some potential problems at the pass by knowing early what their reactions are likely to be. And, and part of that is just a real simple thing, and this gets done a lot in leadership training now, so this won't be, I th- think, news to anybody, but it's always a good reminder because people have trouble doing it. Use open-ended questions. In right. other words, don't say, have I been clear? Yes. <laughs> right? So that, and, and especially culturally speaking, there are some cultures in which it's inappropriate to tell a leader that you're not clear. Hmm. So the answer would always be yes. So that's why it's better to say, now I've explained this to you, as you said, uh, let me hear you tell me back what you understood me to say. That kind of bypasses that particular cultural um, tendency to where yes doesn't mean yes. It means I'm being obedient. Another part of this, too, that comes out when we begin to to seek clarity the way we're describing it is establishing uh, clarity around scope of authority. Right. Because how many times have we heard, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't do that or I didn't know I was responsible or I thought she was the one. or So to be really clear about what the scope of authority really is. You know, as you're bringing that up, uh, I want to mention one of the number one, um, you could say, sabotage uh, mechanisms or or tendencies that leaders have when they have set somebody up to be empowered to do something is to then either a micromanage them which basically Mm -hmm. erodes their confidence or skip a level Mm -hmm. so go to their client go to their direct report jump right over them and start handling Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. Uh, that that thing of skip level Mm -hmm. uh, as it's often called is just really undermining now, the authority now why, why of the Why do person. people do that? You've had lots of experience in organizations. Why, why are people doing that? Um, because they have a tough time letting go of control. That's mm-hmm. probably the number one, because they are micromanaging out of a sense of fear or an obsession with control. Yep. So rather than taking the time to uh, go through the channels that mm-hmm. they have set up, They'll skip a level, and sometimes it is they're suspicious by nature. Mm-hmm. Well, every time they do that, they're basically creating less and less full engagement from that the person that they're over they're skipping over. So here here's a method that we recommend, and it works the other way. So imagine this: let's say there's somebody uh, that you've assigned to you know oversee my work. And then you come to me directly. Now you've opened up a direct channel to me, and I start skipping them in the other direction. right? And that just corrupts the whole chain of of command. Right. So one of the things we used to do, and I I was coached on this as a leader, was that if somebody skipped a level up, Mm. unless they were coming to me with a real serious problem, that they were coming to me confidentially because something was wrong, I would always say, hey, I appreciate you bringing this up. Let's get whoever that leader was, in here to discuss yeah. this with us. Yeah. And when that leader would come in, I would actually save their their face and go, hey, you know, Carolyn came in and she wondered if there it was time for me to talk to the two of you. She had an idea she wanted to run by us. That's brilliant. You know, so that I th- then she suddenly realized, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, without making anybody wrong. Yeah. And if and if, uh, y- you know, somebody, you know, 
skips a level down, if somebody comes to me directly, it's a lot harder for that person to be able to say to the two levels up boss, hey, shouldn't we involve my supervisor or manager? Um, That's too much of a risk. So whoever is in that up position really has to start taking responsibility. And if they want to talk to somebody, they go to the leader and say, hey, I want to know more about what's going on. Let's go to your person so-and-so and have a conversation. Well, the other thing I've observed at times is the fear of what comes with collaborating. You know, collaborating often requires a little bit of vulnerability. Giving orders doesn't. <laughs> right. Taking orders doesn't. So I, I've seen skipping a level where, oh, I would just like to obey, tell me what to do, or I'm going to give orders here because she's not doing what she should be doing. We're talking about creating a thriving culture where that hierarchy is kind of flattened. I mean, we need these positions. We need chains of command, etc. but those are functional. Right. Ultimately, we're all human beings, and we all have something unique to offer, and we keep stressing the team approach, you know, creating stakeholders where we're all 100% responsible, we're working as a team, and we have some really clear guidelines about who we're reporting to. Right, yeah, it sets up good, clear communication. So, you know, uh, another one... You know, when we get to talking about the three C's is, is one that sometimes is, is you could say a little harder to, to maybe assess right away, but it's the third C and that is commitment. Right. What is the person's level of commitment? And this really goes back to what we were talking about in our previous, uh, program. And that was, does the person see themselves as responsible and accountable for how they show up and the results they create? That's step one. Mm-hmm. And step two, have they chosen to be committed, and how can you tell? Well, there's so many layers to this, Chris. Uh, We've covered it in different directions. I'm remembering the show we did with Fred Mosler from Zappos. Right. And he gave us a remarkable example of what they they do in, in Zappos with new hires, where they all get three weeks of customer service training, regardless of whether they'll be handling any customers. And at the end of that period, they're all offered $5,000 to quit. (laughs) Right, right. We heard that, and I think we were kind of stunned. The point being is they want anyone who works at Zappos to be committed. And if you turn down $5,000, you suddenly are a little bit committed. You've got some skin in the game. Right, and so so commitment, uh, skin in the game, emotional ownership, and so on. But part of that is, is to start to notice the patterns of a person's behavior. Right. So uh, commitment means, you know, I'll I'll give a a quote. Can't remember who to attribute it to. But commitment shows up when we overcome the obstacle of greatest difficulty and continue on. Mm. You know, I can certainly relate to that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if if we look at that as being the heart of commitment, then then what I start to look at is how does a person deal with challenges? Uh How do they deal with difficulties? What do they do when things start to go wrong? Um, we talked about uh, last week the power scale. Do they tend to become negative and pessimistic and problem-centric? Or do they become proactive and solution-centered and retain a healthy optimism? I mean, those are all kind of, you could say, signs or signals that relate to whether a person has that real deep commitment to follow through and get it done. Well, I love the perspective of anticipating the value of obstacles. 
right. to increase commitment. Because often we have a gilded view that somehow we can learn how to do things right and reduce the obstacles we'll be facing. I don't really find that's true. The obstacles are always showing up, but there are ways to be better prepared for them. Yeah, to anticipate them, sometimes to head them off of the pass or maybe take it an appropriate, uh, you know, a couple of steps ahead of time so that, so that we literally miss the potential obstacle. But all of that comes from somebody who is, if, think about this, if, if we've created clear expectations mm-hmm. and they really understand what we're asking mm-hmm. of them and what the invitation is, mm-hmm. we want to get back to the invitation in just a minute, then the, the, then it's far easier to really assess were they showing up and acting like somebody who's enthused and ready to take on the challenge? I uh, got hired uh, many years ago in Hawaii at a small community TV station and uh, was quite uh, attracted to the uh, team that was there and looking forward to working. Uh, I just moved to Hawaii, so it was a good way to get to know local government and some of the notable people in the community. However, the first day I showed up, I was alerted that I needed to punch in. And the manager had mentioned this to me. And I had no intention of punching in. I I felt like a robot in a factory. So (laughs) I said, well, we're going to have to renegotiate here. And so after some consideration, we agreed that I wouldn't need to punch in. I could come and go whenever I wanted to, but I would work half time. I would get paid half the salary. At the time, I could afford to do that. And I valued it more than the money, my freedom more than the money. Well, it worked out great. I was committed to doing a good job. I'd be in there some days at 2 or 3 in the morning if I had a show that I need to put together for the next day. Other days, I'd take the day off and go to the beach. It worked out great. Everybody was happy. I was committed to doing the job well. But what was really funny was the other people who worked there were jealous of me. And they'd say, well, you sure got it good. You can take Wednesday off if you want to. I wish I could do that. I said, well, you could. I just negotiated this. <laughs> well, you know, you think about what, what was going on there is that, and this is, this is important for, for anybody in leadership role, are we, are we going to basically focus on the results a person does or on their style, uh-huh. right? Right. And so, you know, sometimes it's required that certain jobs require that you be there and that there's an actual requirement for that. But a lot of times that's not the case. And more and more with flexible work schedules and and people who are telecommuting from all over the world, the real focus has to be on performance. So this whole idea of commitment is will you get it done on time, on budget, according to specification? Yeah, and when we open up what we can open up, like where you're working, the hours you're working, etc., all in service to the agreed-upon goals, a person's much happier working there. And what better condition is there to have a team of people who all love working together? Well, yeah, and if we're able to be willing to be flexible enough to give people the flexibility where we can, that will allow them to be at their best. That's important. Now, there, there was another word I, I just kind of stumbled across it when I was talking, but it is important, and we talk about this in our book, and that is that part of empowerment is recognizing that we're inviting people to right. step into a role. Right. We're not demanding What a difference. I mean, just consider the the nature of those two words, inviting versus demanding. They're polar opposites. Yeah, and so inviting, I mean, the reason why I want to invite is is twofold. You know, we're we're talking about 
really trying to choose people correctly, creating an invitation that's meaningful, and then inviting them to step into it. Because if they elect, Mm -hmm. they choose to step into it, they're signing up. That's one of the signals that, that, that they have decided to say yes. Uh, so part of that is, do I have an environment where it's safe to say no? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, that's important as well. Obviously, empowerment is super important. So, Chris, share a little bit of your secrets just in the last minute or so here of how to coach a person to make their own pre-assessment around commitment. Well, yeah, sometimes you get asked whether you want to take on a job and you better pre-assess yourself. So, you know, you might ask yourself, do I have, do I feel like I have the level of support I need to successfully accomplish the job? Was my leader or manager clear on what Mm -hmm. my role is? Mm -hmm. You know, am I capable? Do I have the cognitive, the interpersonal? Right. Life, Being really skills? honest about that, yeah. right? Yeah, and then and then just basically say, what do I see as my responsibility with this job, and and do I understand how it's going to impact others? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. So, in other words, empowerment is a two-way street. Not only can you not empower someone, you can't be empowered, and each side has responsibility. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, I can't empower someone. I can step into an empowered role by choice, but it, it, I want to make sure that I'm not in denial, yeah. that I'm not saying, uh, yes, I'm empowered. I really want to ask myself, do I have the, the cognitive, technical, and interpersonal skills? Am I clear about expectations? Am I really committed? Mm-hmm. You know, to ask myself those questions in reverse and be honest about it, because otherwise we set ourselves up to fail. So much can be done in advance. That's the real lesson of today's program, I think, to pre-assess the situation and set ourselves up for success rather than failure. Absolutely. And then to follow through, follow through, follow through. Well, thanks for joining us today. My name is Will Wilkinson. And I'm Christopher Harding. And if you've got your own empowerment stories or comments, you can reach us at thrivinginbusinessandlife at gmail.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.